Can you please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. I have the joy of being able to speak with you for the next two weeks. And so what I'm going to do is this. We are going to reset our minds, our hearts. Obviously, it's a new year, but I would probably do the same sermon if it was the end of the year because I believe the Lord gave it to me. Um, and so we're going to look at this. Do you see what I see? See a little bit of Christmas thing in there. You see what I'm doing? We still got the tree up, so I have a lot of liberty. I got a lot of freedom. And so renewing your vision of the king and his kingdom. So this week, we're going to beautifully look at who Jesus is in a broad way because he's so amazing. We can't hit all of it in uh, 30 minutes, right? But we're going, to, we're going to do an overview of Jesus looking at the story of Zacchaeus, believe it or not. And we're going to see what happens there. And the next week, we're going to look at the kingdom. I'm setting the stage for us as a church because what we're doing starting in February is going through all of our classes that we're going to do with new believers as a congregation so that all of us have a good vision of what it looks like for this church as we propel forward in growth. We have amazing faith as pastoral staff, as elders, to see the church flourish, not just here spiritually with us, but with new believers like Zacchaeus amongst us. So what, we got to get prepared. we got to get ready. And so one way for us to do that is not only seeing Christ as central to all that we do, seeing his kingdom as the thing that we live for and in, and are a part of, but also what it looks like for us as a body and to be ready and prepared. And what are we bringing those people into? All right, so we're going to do it together. Amen? Yeah. Thank you for your excitement there. I'm excited as well. Um, I was listening to the radio one, one day driving to work, and I was struck with, get ready for this because he always strikes me. He's so dazzling. Michael Buble's reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. All right, uh, my, the Twas the Night Before Christmas was actually an article written, I believe, in, an, in a newspaper in England in the 1820s. And it was actually called A Visit from St. Nicholas. And it's taken its turns. They actually found the author in 1837. And uh, it's become, in America, a really big thing that is done every Christmas season. Okay, so what I'm going to do for us today is I'm going to play that recording. And you guys can get back into the Christmas spirit. Don't be little, you know, just go with it in the sense that Jesus is the one that we serve. This is just fun, okay? But something jumped out to me in this reading, and maybe you can catch it too. And then let's talk about it together. We're looking at this. We're getting a vision of the king. It's important for us to not just be intrigued by who Jesus is, but to be transformed by what he's done and what that looks like applied to our lives. It's a beautiful quote. It's important for us to not just be intrigued by who Jesus is, but be transformed by what he has done. Amen? I wrote it. <laughs> Come on. The Lord's good. So what we're going to do is this. Uh, if we could please play that, Roy. The video won't come through. It's just going to be an audio, and I want you just to sit back and imagine yourself reading it to maybe a child or grandchild of yours and see what we can see here. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in the hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Mom in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I 
sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of a new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh of eight tiny reindeer with a little old driver so lively and quick. Well, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came. And he whistled and shouted, and he called them by name. On Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly. When they meet to an obstacle mount to the sky, so up to the rooftop the courses they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing, the pining of each little hoof as I drew in my head and was turning around down the chimney. St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed in all furs from his head to his foot and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys it flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up in a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of his pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed, like a bowl full of jelly. <laughs> he was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work. And he filled all the stockings and turned with a jerk and laying a finger to the side of his nose and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh and to his team gave a whistle and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all and to all. Good night, good night. Michael does it again. He does a great job though. What hit me, I was driving to work, just thinking about life, contemplating things, uh, fatigued and tired. And what, what struck me was the amazing description of this jolly old elf, right? I put some lines up there for us. Um, his eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry, his cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of his pipe yelled tight in his teeth and the smoke encircled his head like a wreath. You can actually see the man, can't you? And you get this picture of a fictional character derived from a great man, okay? So we, there is context. But you get this picture of what culture has created. And you can see him and you can envision him and you see the things he's doing and you see the good he's doing and, and the excitement that he's creating and the one that's telling the story. Right? And then you hear, as he's leaving, the famous lines, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Right? Keep that in your mind. Keep that in your mind, and let's see what happens here.
Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. This is a story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And uh, Jesus is an amazing, an amazing, an amazing man, non-fictional, real person that walked this earth, right? Obviously, St. Nicholas was here, but what he has turned into is something different, okay? So uh, Jesus, as he's coming, he's coming in this time. This is before his triumphal entry. So if you can imagine this, he's basically on a journey. He's coming to Jericho, through Jericho, then to Jerusalem. And so what's happening here is as he's coming near Jericho, he goes ahead and heals a blind man. So that's pretty amazing. And then as he's entering Jericho, um, he experiences this, this interesting relationship with Zacchaeus. This passage blows my mind for a lot of reasons. It's not found anywhere else in Scripture. It's not in any of the other Gospels. It's the only account. Uh, Luke is very precise in how he writes. So he added it for a reason, and he put it here for a reason. So that's very interesting. There's only 10 verses, and it's not that descriptive, to be honest. So there's a lot of things taking place, and as I look at it, there are so many questions that I have because I would love to have been there and seen what took place. Right? So let me just read it and let's go together. This is Luke 19.1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him. Say it, everybody say it together. Joyfully, gladfully, with cheer. All right, the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, who is the all? The crowd, you name it. Everybody. This is an amazing text to me because there's not massive detail, but there's enough to get what's going on. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going here because this is my problem. I start talking in the middle of the text. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. And Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. No. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. You see, I'm making comparisons here between a cultural Christ, Santa Claus, where people, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. How creepy is that for a small child? <laughs> right? But the reality is we have a father who cares enough to actually know our condition. And he doesn't sleep or slumber because he truly does look over us as we're sleeping, as we're in our weakest, most vulnerable moment. You understand what I'm saying? So, Roy, I had a slide before. I jumped too fast. I'm sorry. If you go back a couple, I think. You see this picture? Stephen showed it to us actually a little while ago. This is a, a painting that was made, um, and it was actually posted on Facebook in 2015. Not a huge fan of social media, but this is telling. 2018, somebody posted it and wrote a nice blurb there above it. What you would think, describing the scene, saying that, you know, Santa, this is, this is your day, but the Santa bowing to Christ and saying, I'm serving you and giving these people. I give a gift, but you've given everything, in essence. That's what that blurb above is saying. 
Facebook, um, this is December 5, 2018. They covered it up and said the image is violent or graphic. And so you could not see it. And so there was, in, in moments, it was trending. Trending means it was so public and so out there for everyone to see that everyone was aware of it in minutes because of that. And so they added the little blurb below, which you might not be able to read, but it says, uh, this photo was automatically covered, and you can decide if you want to view it. So if you want to view it, then you click on it, and it takes away the blurriness. So there's a thing. The next day, they removed the cover, and they allowed the picture to be back the way it was. Why am I using this? Because I believe culture has supplanted the reality of Jesus Christ and what he, who he is and what he's done, and they've put in a character who they've made it to be who just gives us what we want, who gives us the fun things in life, who gives us a, a spirit of happiness and joy for a moment in time. Everything else can just be at peace because the jolly old elf, all the descriptors we've heard before, is present with us. And he will visit me and he will help us to be able to see something and experience something that we've not before. So this is interesting to me because to me it proclaims restoration. To me, it says, the cultural Christ will bow before the king. And everything that we try as humans to, 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 to fill and fasten and make, the reality is that there is only one man that can do those things. And so as we come here to the text, crazy things are going on that are really, really interesting to me. All right, Jesus is passing through Jericho. He wasn't there to stay. On his way passing through, a short man couldn't see him. Why would he climb a tree? Yes, we all know he's short. He probably doesn't like us talking about it, right? <laughs> the reality is also people hated him. Tax collectors have a bad rap. They take money, and it, to me, I get a Robin Hood view in my mind. Steal from the rich and give to the poor, but they didn't give to the poor, they gave to themselves. So they took money. Jericho is actually a very rich city at this time. Um, there's a lot of agriculture and a lot of water in the area, and there was a major highways going through it. So all the things came to Jericho, and then they placed Zacchaeus there to be able to collect tax on everybody coming through. So it makes sense that during this time, uh, they would have someone like him there. Because as he's receiving tax, he's getting money, and he's taking some for himself as well. This is common with tax collectors. They hate them. So interesting thing going on here is that I think, yes, to see Jesus, but why wouldn't you push up to the front of the crowd? If you're that intrigued. You see what I'm saying? Probably terrified of the people. Didn't want to be around the people. I'd imagine. I'm adding to the text. It does not say that. But this is where I get so intrigued because there's so much going on in this story that's so fast. And it brings you to another point because in a minute they're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Directly after that, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry. There's so many things that Luke is stringing together here that we're going to look at in these next couple weeks. Because the beauty of what's taking place is Jesus comes and he says, you crooked thief, get out of that tree because i got a score to settle with you. He calls him by name. One of the greatest passages on election, which is this idea that the Lord has chosen you before time existed to be his child. Right? And he says, he comes in and he says, Jim Schmidt, you're mine. Right? Joe Hayworth. I've called you. Come down from that tree. Get off of that bicycle. Whatever it is, right? In the, the reality of life with us, he is able to reach down and say, Sharon Engine, you're my daughter. Come down and let me experience life with you for a moment in time. 
The Lord has called us by name. He's chosen each and every one of us for a particular facet of his kingdom. But it's important for us to not just bow before this great king because of what of, of an intrigue. That's why Zacchaeus was there. Listen, I'm going to also throw out to you because this passage is so crazy to me. It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Interesting that you can receive the Savior of the world in our revelation. At this time, we know those things, right? He's just intrigued by the person. So I wonder if he has had an experience before. Because how do you joyfully receive something that you don't yet know about? Specifically, the one that convicts you of your sin. If you go back, I'm throwing this out there. Scholars think this. I'm not smart enough to think it. If you go back there in, in chapter 18, we got this story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee is basically, it's a parable, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed and said, God, I thank you that I am like, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's calling them out. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but would beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, I tell you, this man went down to, to his house ju justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I wonder if this is a parable to some degree, a connection to something that took place possibly with Zacchaeus. I cannot say that again. I'm putting that on. You don't take doctrines from parables. You know, you, you look at this. It's got a point and a meaning. We don't do things publicly, but we do things with a heart intention to devote ourselves to the Lord, not compare ourselves to other people. I'm just throwing it out there because it's so interesting that Zacchaeus joyfully received the Messiah and welcomed him to his house. And then we have no conversation about what took place. All of a sudden, he gave half of everything he had. Not his money, his possessions. So, the text tells us he's rich. That's a lot of things he gave to the poor. I don't know what. I don't know money. I don't know value-wise how much. But he gave half of what he had, and then those he's defrauded or robbed, he gave back four times the amount. Just to let you know, in, in Old Testament law, when these things took place, um, it was the common way of doing it was double. They call it restitution. Okay? So you, if I stole uh, $50 from Tony and that, that directly impacted him and his wealth, I would give Tony $50 and I'd give you $50 back for what you have lost in the meantime. And then there's different laws and how that works and how those things take place, especially with cattle and livestock and livelihood. But the interesting thing is he jumped automatically to the, to the most severe case and said, I'm not just going to give back half or double what I should give. I'm going four times the amount. So, he, so something drastic took place in this man's life. And the reality of the gospel is that we, it is important for us to not just be intrigued, to go to the tree and look at Jesus, to admire the man, to even bend before the man. But it is essential for us to be transformed by the things he's done, the things that have been applied to our lives. So he joyfully receives him, and he goes to be a guest of the man. And Jesus said to him, today, Jesus says it to Zacchaeus loudly for all to hear. Because who grumbled? Everyone. So no doubt they were outside Zacchaeus' house. 
No doubt they followed him to see what was going on. Why would Jesus want to go to this sinner's house? So there's probably a crowd outside and Jesus, in his way, today salvation has come to this house. See how broadly he's speaking? He's not speaking to Zacchaeus. He is also a son of Abraham. He is a spiritual son. He's mine. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is the reason Jesus came. You see what he's doing? He's telling everybody, I didn't come for you. I didn't come for your uh, hoity-toity attitudes, for all your goody-goodies, for all the right things that you have done. I came for those who can see that they are utterly depraved, who are broken beyond recognition, who need to be repaired in every way. And the only means for them to receive that is by coming into my presence and humbly accepting me into their home. You see what I'm saying? So the reality for us in this text is it is, it is mind-boggling that this is taking place in 10 verses and in the immense things. But what's taking place here? Uh, Roy, I think I've got some slides about it with a tree on it or something. Uh, here, this is actually called the Zacchaeus tree, um, and it is in Jericho. I have no idea if it's the exact tree he climbed, but sycamore trees typically represent strength, uh, power, those kind of things. And it's interesting, this is kind of going off text here, but Zacchaeus' name means pure or innocent. So the man that was robbing people, the pure one, the innocent one, climbs to a tree of strength and power to be able to witness and experience what true purity and innocence looks like and to encounter for himself his namesake, in essence. Because now he is truly a son of the king, right? In our revelation, we know that through what Jesus Christ has done. But salvation has come to this house today. He is pure and he is innocent because of what Christ has done and shown through his entire heart change. He's no longer greedy. He's no longer selfish. We see joyfully he received Christ. And the next thing he did was thought about others and the way that he gave, and the way that he returned and tried to mend and restore relationship. All right? So Zacchaeus was seeking just to see Jesus passing by. Jesus came to the place, and he called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus encountered Jesus and made drastic life-altering decisions. Life-altering decisions. How precious is your savings to you? How precious are your possessions? If Jesus walked into your home today, would you be able to cut it in half and give it away? Is he that strong enough in your heart and in your mind? Because it sure was in Zacchaeus's greedy, selfish little man that Jesus came and totally refined. Whatever he said, I have no idea. Jesus is... What I want to do is talk to you today about Jesus. That's all I'm trying to do. But you, you, stories flood my mind now. Just imagine with me. He was at a well with a woman and somehow knew her life because he's Jesus, right? Uh, they wanted to throw rocks at another woman for the sin she had committed, and rightfully so. But he started drawing in the sand. No idea what he did, right? It doesn't say. We have ideas, but it exactly doesn't say. But for whatever reason, they walked away. Because he knows. Pharisees spouting lies and things like that. And he calls them out and says, you brood of vipers. Because he knew the thoughts before they even spoke them. 
This is the Jesus we serve. He's not just a man. He's divine. He's not just uh, marred and broken and hanging on a cross. He's victoriously ruling. And all these things are still his character, even before the cross. Um, Here's what I have for you. Um, On the next slide, please, Roy. Jesus pursues you. Jesus called you by name. He didn't call you by the wrong deeds you did. He called you by the name you were given because it's personal, because it's relational. Everybody can call you out to make you do something good again, right? That's, that's usually what discipline is. But he actually calls you by your name to have you call out the things you've done, which is flipped and amazing. Jesus is amazing, all right? So Jesus, he met you with the transformative power of his gospel, which is his life lived out. He was passing through Jericho. He was walking by. The good news is Jesus Christ, right? I'm taking a little bit of liberty because obviously the crucifixion is not taking place yet. But the reality is he encountered Jesus and all that Jesus represents in his character and his power. So now what do we do? For 2020, yes. For a life of dedication to the Lord, more importantly so. Because everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon of 2020. We need a clear vision, right? 2020, we're going back to the doctor. Whatever you want to do. Uh, next slide, please. This is what I would like. We're going to do an exercise because we, yes, we're going to do an exercise in a minute that I, just be, be gracious with me and help me, but I think it's going to be good for us. But this is what I love. As a result of what we've read today, it is important for us to not just be intrigued by who Jesus is, but be transformed by what he's done. Encounter Jesus again. Maybe you have never done it before. Maybe you've never experienced the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Today can be the day. But maybe you're just tired. I think as a congregation, and I confess it because I'm there, we're tired. To some degree, the work week, the days, the schedules, the children, the hours, the jo- it's fatiguing, yes, but it's also a calling. So dig deep down. And find Jesus again in what you do. And see what Jesus has done. Reset. Adjust your outlook. Because Jesus is your beginning and he's your end. Renew. Jesus supplies all your needs. Remember your existence is in him. Go to him joyfully. And see how he will transform your life. And then refocus. Jesus sets us on mission for his glory not for our comfort, for what he wants. Uh, this idea of resetting to me is like a broken bone kind of a thing. You know what I mean? We, we all come with aches and pains and, and, and hardships in life. Allow Jesus, as he fills you with his spirit and reminds you with his word who he is, allow him to set again the purpose he's intended you to be. You put a, put a cast over a bone to realign it and put it in place. Listen, I, I'm partial because I love my wife I'm a huge fan of the Dr. Deej, Dr. James. But uh, uh, honestly, chiropractic is an amazing reality of the gospel for me because it is things that are completely out of place put right again. They are aligned the way God intended them to function and be. And so I've learned a lot through the way the Lord has created our bodies, right? But even still, a cast, 
an adjustment, whatever. Renewing, I have to go get contacts because I don't have great vision. One of the contact companies is called Renew. All right? How awesome is it that every day when I have to put these in so I can see, I wash something off with something called Renew and put it in my eye. <clears throat> I'm going to the Lord joyfully because he's refreshing me. He's giving me purpose and vision again. He's allowing me to be replenished and restored and to be able to see clearly the things he wants me to see. And then refocus. Jesus sets us on mission. He concentrates us. He purposefully gives us things and puts us in places where we need to be for his glory and for his purpose, not just for fun, not just for warmth, not just for the jolly old elf to come and visit us. All right? So... Um, I'm not going to do the physics thing. Reflect on Jesus. Joyfully live for the king. And allow your, your heart's desire, your cry, your, your actions everywhere you go to be a reflection of who he is and what he's done in your life. Um, we started today hearing about this story that was written years ago about Santa. We're going to end today with something even greater. We want to give you some descriptors of Jesus Christ. And then this is what I would love for you to do. And I'm going to start us and I'm going to ask for your involvement. If you don't want to do it audibly, that's totally fine. You can do it in your mind. But I'm going to read some of Isaiah 53. Do you guys understand that Jesus does not have a British accent? <laughs> like the movies depict. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is not a white man? I'm, I'm, it's silly, but it's true. He is a Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. And so we have these descriptors of what the jolly old elf looks like, Santa, with his nose and all these kind of things. The reality, though, is that the way we have depicted Christ and the way that we have shown him is not true because it's not, it wouldn't hold the case. I want to look at the Bible and say, what is Isaiah? What is Daniel? What is Revelation? What are the, what are the Gospels? What is the storyline of Scripture saying about the rescuer of the world? For us to be able to start this year to say, it's all about Jesus. He is our God and our King. He is our everything in life. And so I say that not to, to be weird or shake things up, but to say there's a reality to how we observe him and follow him. And it's not, he's, it's not us. We get ideas of who Christ is that matches my imagination of who I want him to be. Instead of that, find out who he is in Scripture, and you align yourself under who he is. Right? Okay, so he doesn't speak English, and he's not from the United States of America. That's important for us to recognize. I'm being honest. Because in our context, it's so hard to get out of what it might look like. Okay? Um, so I'm going to read some stuff. I only put up the first couple of verses of Isaiah 52. I'm going to read a little bit of Isaiah 52 a little bit of Isaiah 53, and then I'm going to be quiet because I want us to imagine together from Scripture, what does Jesus look like? How would we write our own Twas the Night Before Christmas with the reality of the true king we serve? Because that's a great author, right? Very descriptive. I can actually imagine and see him there. Please listen with me. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. And many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. 
For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? This is Isaiah 53. You can read along or just listen. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He wasn't on the cover of GQ. He had no beauty that we should desire him. Can you still follow Jesus if he's not the most popular person in the class? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for, his, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall, shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his spirit to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. I did a lot of reading there, but the point of it is this. It is very easy to describe something that has become a fictitious story in our nation. Can we, the church, describe the one into whom we have devoted our entire life for? I challenge you, church family, don't become so complacent in your life with Jesus that you hear the gospel and let it roll off but that you see the transformative power in what it's done. And we're not trying to be like Zacchaeus. We, we imitate Jesus Christ. But as he comes to you, what is your response? What is your response when he comes to your house? How will you respond to such a great king? I just want to take the last five minutes and give some time. When you think about Jesus, what from Scripture do you see? Jesus, we are humbled. We're humbled, Jesus, because we don't deserve any of it. Because when we get just, just an iota, just, just a small glimpse of who you are, uh, we, like Zacchaeus, just want to, want to change. We want, we want to obey. We want to follow through. We want to be like you. 
And so, Jesus, I just pray for New Covenant Church that you would renew us again, that you'd reset us and you'd refocus us to see you, Jesus. And that everywhere we go, in the jobs you've given to us, the families you put us in, the children you've given to us, Father God, that we'd be a reflection of your beauty and grace. That we'd be able to, wherever we walk, bring that truth of your gospel to bring transformative power to broken, hard, and sad situations. Lord Jesus, we confess as a church that we don't have all the answers, but we do have you. And we thank you so much that you have called us, that you've equipped us, and that you've given us all that we need. So like you, Jesus, as we go, may we be faithful, Lord, to find the Zacchaeuses, to enter into the places, to go to homes, to be able to bring your unshakable kingdom. We're grateful, Father, for the call. We're grateful for the mission that you've put us on. And Lord, we just pray for this church congregation this week, but also this year, that as we really refocus and reset ourselves, that you would please remember us. Be faithful, Lord Jesus, because you always are. May the hard work of our hands, Father God, show itself in fruit and in growth, spiritually here, but also in numbers, because you are such a faithful and wonderful Father. We thank you for your word, and we, Lord Jesus, receive it today, and may you be glorified in your name. Amen. Thank you, church family. Have a great week. You're dismissed.